Well, good evening. Good to see all of you out tonight. We're glad that you're here with us. The lesson for tonight is the beginning of a Sunday night series that we're going to be doing on the temptations of Jesus. And I chose Luke chapter 4 to get our scripture from, uh, at least on that one anyway. But um, there are different ways that the temptations of Jesus are, are portrayed. In Matthew chapter 4, it's also given there, uh, but there's a little bit more wording in Luke chapter 4, maybe a little bit more attention to detail. Uh, we do know that Luke was a doctor, and so we do, do feel like at times he had more detail in some things. Uh, there were things that he paid more attention to than some of the other writers. Uh, Mark, I believe, just has a couple of verses that are dedicated to the temptations of Jesus. But we're going to go through each of the temptations that Jesus faced one by one. And I think that this lesson is actually probably better than the one that I had this morning. Um, there are certain lessons that as a preacher I can feel kind of flow a little bit better whenever you're putting them together. And this is one of them that uh, flowed very easily, I think. But it's a very good lesson, um, at least in my opinion. Tonight we're dealing with the lust of the flesh. And this is the first of the temptations that is listed in both Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4. Now the order is different uh, as far as the second and the third temptations. Uh, one is in chronological order. We believe the other is in order of maybe importance or, or something like that. But uh, in both cases, this is the first of the temptations that is listed. Our goal for this series is going to be to study each one of these one by one. And so this will be the first one. But the temptations that Jesus overcame are the same temptations that we all face, though it may be in different ways. And we might look at our world and, and be tempted to think, well, you know, this is something people didn't deal with 50, 60 years ago, or, or maybe 100 or 200 years ago. But you know, we're told in the book of Ecclesiastes, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, says the preacher. And one of the things that he says is that there's nothing new under the sun. There may be new ways that these temptations come about. There may be some different things that are utilized that, that we see these temptations in. But overall, there's nothing new under the sun. And we understand that, that these temptations have been around since well before we've been alive. But we understand that these temptations that Jesus went through are the same ones that we face. And I think it gives us a, a great deal of comfort knowing that Jesus overcame these temptations where we ourselves can see that we have failed in certain things as well. But the temptations that we face can all be divided up into three categories. One, the lust of the flesh. Two, the lust of the eyes. And three, the pride of life. That will be the order that we study these in. Satan uses these same temptations to tempt us today. And we need to be aware of how he uses them so that we can overcome as Jesus did. Now, Jesus showed us if nothing else, that if He overcame these temptations, 
in the flesh, just as we are, that we too can overcome these temptations. Overcoming these temptations, however, requires knowledge of what they are and how they are used. And this lesson's focus will be on the lust of the flesh. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 4. This is where we're going to begin tonight. Luke chapter 4, and we'll begin reading at verse 1 to kind of give us an idea of the context of this temptation. Luke chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for forty days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. We understand that Jesus had received the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove at his baptism. Just one chapter before this. Luke chapter 3, beginning with verse 21. It says, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. So we read in Luke chapter 4, the beginning of this chapter, that Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, was then led into the wilderness as part of His preparation for His ministry. Mark chapter 1, verse 13, adds a a detail that we don't see in the other accounts. Even though Mark's account is so short, We do have something here that that we don't see in all the accounts. Mark 1 and verse 13 says that he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts. I find that interesting. And especially as we mentioned this morning, how Satan comes as a wild beast in many ways. Uh, That's one of the things that I wonder about. How, How did he come to Jesus? But we see that Jesus was in the wilderness and there was no one there other than these wild beasts. And Satan comes and tempts him in the way that he does. Now, while in the wilderness, notice that Jesus did not eat. I can imagine, I've said this many times as I I do lessons on this subject, that over 40 days... If I didn't eat or drink anything, I wouldn't be alive, probably. But Jesus was fasting. And we see that that God gave him exactly what he needed. But here he is fasting, and, and after 40 days, without this physical nourishment, it says here that he was hungry. Jesus was hungry. You see, even though he was the Son of God, We also know that He is the Son of Man, as He is often referred to. And being the Son of Man, being in the flesh just like we are, He was hungry after all of this time without any nourishment. 
Satan, we see, attempted to use Jesus' hunger against him. Go to Luke chapter 4 and verse 3. Luke 4, verse 3. It says that the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. The temptation that we read here is twofold, if you haven't noticed. First of all, prove that you are really the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, uh, maybe even because you are the Son of God, prove that this is who you are. Prove that you are God's Son. The second part of this temptation says basically satisfy your hunger using the power that only you possess as the Son of God. So when we look at this temptation, we see that that Satan is tempting him in two different directions here. First of all, prove that you're the Son of God. And in proving that you're the Son of God, fulfill your hunger. To give in to the temptation would have been against his Father's will. To satisfy the flesh would have meant the death of everything he came to fulfill as well as his own spiritual death, if nothing else. Can you imagine what would have happened if Jesus had given in to any one of the temptations that Satan had thrown at him? Any of the things that he tempted him with, what if Jesus had given in? I can only imagine. If he had given in, there would be no hope for us. There would be no salvation. There would be no sacrifice, no perfect sacrifice on our behalf. But he didn't give in, did he? Now let's notice how Jesus responds to the temptation. Luke chapter 4 and verse 4 says, But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Did you notice here that Jesus uses Scripture to answer the temptation, to respond to the temptation? And we find the passage that Jesus used in the Old Testament also. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, looking at verses 1 through 3, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, it says this, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. So He humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know 
that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's interesting to read this, especially if you're following along with the Bible reading because we're reading about the Israelites in the wilderness. And it's interesting that there is a purpose in God not providing food right away or water. The things that they complained about, He used those instances to show them His power. To show them that's not all that life is about. About following God. Something that they had to learn. But whenever we look at what Jesus did here and how He answered this temptation, He used Scripture. He quoted Scripture. He responded with a thus saith the Lord. Yes, food provides physical nourishment, but only physical nourishment. It does not satisfy the spiritual need that is within us. See, man needs the Word of God to guide him in the ways of his Maker. And certainly we need the Word of God today. Here we see that Jesus overcame the first temptation of Satan. But as we look a little closer at this temptation, we do refer to this temptation often as the lust of the flesh. Even though it's not recorded in, in that way in the account of Jesus' temptations, we understand that this is the type of temptation that Jesus faced. The three temptations of life are, are mentioned in 1 John chapter 2. If you'd like to turn there, 1 John chapter 2. Let's read verses 15 and 16. 1 John 2, verse 15. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Realizing that this is one of the temptations Satan uses to tempt us, it is important to know what it is. You see, if we don't know what our temptations are, how are we going to be able to overcome them? We have to know our enemy. We have to know his ways and how to overcome them. Let's look first at the word flesh. Flesh refers to our earthly existence and anything that our physical body needs or desires. So whenever we talk about flesh in Scripture, we're talking about this earthly body that we live in. And there are certain things that this body feels like it needs or feels like that it wants. And that's what we're talking about. And when we look at lust, it's often used in a sexual nature. But it is a desire for something that one can't or shouldn't have. We look at something. We know we can't have it, but we long for it. That's lust. Thus, the lust of the flesh is a desire or longing for anything the body or mind craves. 
physical or emotional desire, as we might put it. Uh, the things that we feel like we need, that's what we're talking about. The lust of the flesh. Maybe we don't need them, but they, we feel like we do. Now, there are different ways that the lust of the flesh presents itself to us. In Jesus' case, it was a desire for food and water. Something his body needed to survive. But something he was not intended to have at that time. He was fasting. He had dedicated this, this time to meditating on God, his Father. Meditating on the Word. Preparing himself for the things that were ahead. And so food and water were not intended for him. But his body longed for those things. He knew he didn't need them. He knew he didn't have to have them. He knew the man does not live by bread alone. But yet, he was still hungry. I'm sure he was probably thirsty if he hadn't had anything to drink. And all of this, is what Satan tried to use as a temptation. Now, the lust of the flesh does not only present itself in physical hunger or thirst, as we might put it, but it can also be a desire to fulfill uh, the sexual need that our body might feel or might think that we feel. Now, within marriage, it is a relationship that is shared between the married husband and wife only. That's the only way that God has ordained this, has given us this, this thing. But outside of the marriage, sexual desire in the form of adultery or fornication, it's something that we should not participate in. It's a desire of the flesh, and so it is a lust of the flesh. Now, Television and media and things of that nature have desensitized this in our minds. Something we have to be very careful of. But a sexual relationship outside of a marriage is not something for a Christian to participate in in any way, in any means. It can come in the form of addiction to drugs or alcohol. Any abuse that can harm the physical body is a lust of the flesh. May even be a desire for more, more money or power, something that that our physical desire, our physical bodies want, our, our minds want, things that we think we need, the pleasures of the world. Now we may long for these things, but we know that they are not all that life is about. We understand that these pleasures of the world can lead to putting these things before God. And we think of money and houses, and, and we talk about those things that we need to survive. And we do need houses to live in. We need some kind of shelter, right? We need clothing, and we need food. Those are the three basic needs of man. And if there's another one, I can't think of it right now. But when we think of those three basic needs... We think that we've got to have money to have them. Maybe we have to provide them at a certain level. Maybe we think that, that if we live in a, a small house that, that we're poor and, and we don't want to be seen as poor. But let me tell you, 
I would rather live in poverty, trusting God, than to live in the greatest mansion, to have the finest car, the fanciest clothes. I would rather trust in God and realize that He will provide my needs than to feel that money is everything and to place it before God, to place my job before God in serving Him. So many people are guilty of that. But we cannot place these things before God. They are worldly pleasures. They are lusts of the flesh. We are warned not to give in to our fleshly lusts. Notice what is said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. 1 Peter 2, beginning with verse 11. It says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, travelers, those who are not in their final place. That's what we are. We are only travelers in this life. We are only sojourners. We're just passing through this world. And eventually we will come to the end. He's talking to us, beloved. I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now I want you to notice the second line of verse 11. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. These fleshly lusts, the things that we desire in this physical body, in this life that we live, the things that we desire, abstain from those lusts that war against the soul. Notice that word, war. We are not simply fighting a battle. We're fighting a war. We're trying to win a war. Now there may be many battles in this war that we, we call life. Before we get to the end, we may fight many battles. And we may lose many battles. But we're fighting a war. A war against these lusts, these things that will drive us away from God, that will put a wedge between us and God. We abstain from those things that war against us. As Christians, we are told that we should abstain from them. Restrain ourselves when tempted by them. We should overcome. We should overpower them. And not always. We know we make mistakes. But even so, we should overcome these temptations that war against us. We must be in control of ourselves in these lusts. Have you ever had someone tell you, well, you know, I just couldn't help it. You know, sometimes the preschoolers do this too. You'll catch them doing something. Well, why'd you do this? I just couldn't help it. I couldn't do anything else. Someone made me do it. Something that comes with maturity and experience in life is the ability to overcome 
these temptations. And we should overcome them. We should overpower them. We should not be tempted to stray away from God. But again, it's something that comes to maturity. And as Christians, we should be maturing. We should be studying. We should be understanding and applying so that we can overcome the evils that we face. But we always, always must be in control of ourselves. You know, there are so many people that live life and they're not in control. You, you see people that they use language that they shouldn't use because they can't control themselves. They, they've not learned how to control themselves. Even Christians at times lose control. The tongue is one of the things that is the hardest to tame, as James tells us. But we need to be in control. And we always need to be in control of our lusts and our desires and avoid them at all costs. Now that's how we define the lust of the flesh. I want us to look at the lust of the flesh as a root of evil. A root of evil. When we look at certain things that, that we long for in this life, fleshly lusts that we've talked about so far, one of those that, that I mentioned is money. We see that, that money and the desire for it is one of these lusts that we should abstain from. The love and desire for money is said to be a root of evil. Notice what is said in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. It says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Notice that it does not say money. Money is not the problem. Money is a means of the problem, but it's not the problem itself. You see, it goes deeper than just money. Money is something that, that we have. We use it to provide for ourselves. It, it means nothing, really. But when we place it before God, when we see money as more important than God, when we see making money as more important than God, you see, the love of money has taken over. It's not money that is a root of all evil. It's the love of it. Now, let me suggest to you that anything of a fleshly nature, anything that is desired in the flesh, is a root of all kinds of evil. Not just money, but any fleshly lust that we have is a root of all evil. Maybe it's a love of the things that we are addicted to. Maybe it's a desire for more of anything than what God has given or authorized us to have. And don't, don't get me wrong. Sin is a problem. But the love and desire for it is the root. And that's what we have to be very careful of. Now you can cut down the tree, but if you leave the root, that tree is liable to grow up again. 
If we cut down the tree of sin, it may go away for a while. The sin may not bother us for some time. But eventually it will come back if we haven't gotten to the root. So in order to abstain from fleshly lusts, we must get rid of the root. Notice what John the baptizer said. In preparing the way for Jesus, in Matthew chapter 3, in verses 1 and 2 it says this, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now skip to verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Why is it so important to cut at the root? To get rid of the tree completely. Jesus warned against false teachers and knowing them by their fruit. Matthew 7 and verse 15, reading through verse 20. Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Any tree that bears bad fruit that provides us with bad fruit, that causes us to bear bad, bad fruit, needs to be taken out of our lives from the root up. We as Christians are told that we need to bear good fruit. Notice what is said in Galatians 5 verses 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. James chapter 3 verses 17 and 18 says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. Without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Romans 7 verses 4 through 6. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ 
that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now, now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. See, as Christians, we're told to bear fruit. Not just any kind of fruit. We must bear good fruit. And if we're not bearing the fruit that we just read of, then we're not serving God in the way that we should. Any root that is left in the world and its pleasures will cause us to fall to temptation over and over and over again. You see, we cannot change unless we leave the world. That's part of repentance. When we repent, we change our lives. We change the way that we are living. We turn away from the fleshly lusts and, and the things that we desire, the things of the world that only provide temporary happiness. And, and we, we come to God and we serve Him. We do the things that He wants us to do. We've changed. But we see so many times that people are obedient to the plan of salvation. That they hear, they believe, they confess that belief, they, they repent of their sins, they're baptized for the remission of sins. But guess what? They haven't left, that they haven't pulled out the root. They've left a root in the world. They've left one leg in and and tried to, to leave and they couldn't do it because their root is still where? It's still in the world. We cannot leave a root in the world and expect to flee from all these things that we once desired. We have to cut the root. We have to, to get out of the world so that we're not a part of the world any longer. But so many people try to leave the roots intact. And you cannot leave roots and unrighteousness and expect to be righteous. We just can't do it. Cutting down the tree may help us for a while, but if we leave the root in the ground, the tree will grow again, bringing with it the desires we once put away from our lives. The roots of a good tree, however, are placed in God and His Word. You see, when we repent, when we leave those fleshly lusts, when we leave the things that we formerly wanted more than God, we have to reroot ourselves. We plant roots in God and His Word. And as long as our roots are planted in His Word, as long as we love Him and desire to serve Him, then we will bear good fruit. We will be what He desires us to be. But we have to reroute ourselves. You know, whenever we leave home, 
I'm sure you remember leaving your parents' house. And, and what did you do? You had, had to place roots somewhere else. No longer are you connected to your parents' household, but now you're on your own. And you have to reroute yourself. It's the same way with leaving the world. We have to plant our roots somewhere else. We have to plant them in God and His Word. And when all of our love and desire is placed where it should be, we can begin to bear the fruit that God desires us to bear. As we look at the lust of the flesh, we see that these are things that we need to avoid, things that we need to abstain from. But we also see that, that even though the sin is, is, is important, it's not the heart of the matter because we have to get to the root. The reason that money is a problem in our lives uh, the reason that, that we desire a sexual relationship that we cannot have. Uh, a reason that, that we hunger. Uh, a reason for, for any of those things that we should not have. The things that we lust after. Any of those things, we have to get to why they are a problem for us. We have to understand that love and desire are the things that we need to take care of. And if we take care of the love and desire for those things, the sin also will be taken care of, for the most part. That doesn't mean that we won't stumble or make a mistake now and then. But it does mean that we will be preparing ourselves for eternity. Preparing ourselves to overcome the temptations in our lives. I don't know where you stand. I, I don't know if any of the things that, that we've discussed tonight or things that you're dealing with personally. I believe that we're all Christians, but even so, if you need to come back, if you need to rededicate your life to Him, then be glad to take care of whatever need you might have. But if there's any way that we can help you or assist you, we give you the opportunity to come. As together we stand and as we sing.